Yes, Paul addresses wives, husbands, kids, fathers, employees, and employers. Some people see this text as controversial. Some people see this text as ammunition. Perhaps there's going to be the rolling of the eyes or the hitting of uh, that special one next to you in the elbows. My guess is some of you are going to be discouraged, maybe even despairing. But I want you to know, I hope you stick with the text. If you were to leave perhaps 10 minutes into the sermon, you wouldn't get the full picture. I think literally you will leave and it will be a breath of fresh air. I also know that there's folks in our community who are struggling. And relationships aren't that good right now. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this will encourage you. The Apostle Paul writes to a mature Ephesian church and tries to give them an accurate snapshot of what healthy relationships look like. Well, if you've been around church for a while and, and you look at this text and you say, Rick, are you kidding? Wives, husbands, kids, employees, and employers. You're covering all that well, it's a new year, and we're going to be here for the next 90 minutes, okay? Just kidding. I just wanted to see if you were awake. But you know, all of these relationships, they literally, as you're going to see, fit together. Ephesians reframes the church for us. It clarifies and describes this amazing community. Paul spends the first half of his letter focusing on God's grace. You've seen that on the front of the bulletin. When we understand God's grace for us in chapters 1 through 3, we are overwhelmed. We are so grateful. And our lives, well, we live them differently. So we understand God's grace so that we might be able to grace others, those around, including those in our household, those in the workplace. So the Apostle Paul, and I debated whether to review a whole lot, and, and, and I don't want to review a lot, but, but the last time that we were in Ephesians was the last Sunday in November. So back in chapter 4, verse 1, we recognize that, that Paul starts the very practical sex, section. And his command is this. Really, it's, it's simple, but it's walk worthy of being a child of the king. Your actions should look a little bit different. And literally, everything flows from this exhortation. The rest of the time, he says, well, what does walk-worthy look like? What does it mean to be spirit-filled, to be spirit-led, to be connected with God? We left our study in Ephesians, well, at a critical spot. 
It's the place literally, and if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to go a little later, I, I mean a little further down the road, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 through verse 20, literally the apostle is exhorting us to be filled with the Spirit. Live your life filled, controlled with the Spirit. Now, many of you know that last week I had an opportunity to go up to Silver Birch to Nicolay Bible Institute and teach a course. It's a course that lasts four days. They have a bunch of books to read in the beginning, and they have a final eventually that's due in March. But for four days, literally what I got to do is be able to share with them how to do life with God. How to live filled with the Spirit. You're saying, "Ah, really? Four days? Well, let me explain. The first day and a half, I just talked about God. How amazing God was. How big God. How gracious. How forgiving. Because I figure if the kids didn't understand who God was, why would you want a relationship? And then we spent the next few days really just focusing in on and how to do that, how to connect with God. Now, last November, we also shared with you a diagram, and that being filled is critical and practical and basic for the journey. And this diagram, if yes, it's something you're getting used to. But it's really important, again, for you to understand. If, if, again, you realize how much God desires for you to live abundantly, to experience all that God has for you now, and then joy God forever in eternity, that once you're saved, you're always saved, but it's that lower circle, that if there's sin in our life, well, we're outside it. We can't walk with God. Our fellowship is thwarted. And so Paul's really just saying this, I want you to experience all that God has for you. Walk with God. Deal relentlessly and ruthlessly with your sin. Recognize that living life with God is awesome. It's beautiful. It's terrific. It's so basic. But if we don't get it, we lived, well, defeated lives. There's evidence when you walk with God, you stay in fellowship with our Lord. The last scriptures, right before we hit where we're going to today, says the evidence is you're going to sing and make music to God. You're going to give God thanks for all the circumstances in your life. Well, you can only do that if you're walking with God, if you're in the Spirit. So in verse 21, that's where we're going to begin. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit just continues. It continues in these relationships. But before we start, I'd like to pray. Father, I ask you today that you would do an amazing work in us today. I pray, Lord, we would listen because I'm pretty sure there isn't one or two or three points that are going to make us uncomfortable. The idea, Father, we know is not to set up some list and and make sure we all perform, but it's to walk so closely with you so that 
this happens naturally. So, Father, I, I pray that we hear you today, that your spirit would be so active that we would embrace your word and literally, Lord, I pray that you change us from the inside out. There's not one person here that's going to be a better wife, husband, child, employee or employer, just by, by trying. We need you, Father. We need you every moment of the day. And we would ask that you would start right now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, you can open your Bibles, flat screens, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 21. We're going to read all the way through Galatians 6, verse 9. I've asked uh, Rachel and Chris Lempa to help us in this, so you can follow along on the screen as they read for us. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul continues this, be filled with the Spirit, giving evidence of what that literally looks like. So he says in verse 21, and further, 
Or as I continue, I want to keep reminding you what this looks like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this isn't just a command or an exhortation to wives. This is to everyone right here. And the word submit actually is a Greek military term, meaning to fall in, listen, or move as a unit. It certainly has a top-down authoritative sound to it, but this is not how it's used here. In a non-military use, when the word submit was used, it had the idea of a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility together, and carrying a burden. This is the way Paul used this verb. We are to submit, all of us, those who are part of the church, those who are walking with God, those who are part of, shall we say, the community, submit to each other out of respect for God. Because we love and care for this community called Crosspoint, our church. Our love and care for others is evident that we walk in the Spirit, that we spend time with God. Because gathering this many people around, it's really hard to love and encourage and strengthen and submit out of respect of God. Let's go on. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now just a note as we move forward. Paul is not telling women to submit to every man. He's talking to wives in the context of the family and how they are to submit to their husbands. In God's eyes, all are one in Christ and all are equal. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Paul reminds each one of us of whether you're slave or free, whether you're man or woman. No matter who you are, you're all one in Christ. Submission also does not imply inferiority, all right? Since Christ himself is submissive to the Father, he certainly isn't less than the Father. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But, just as Christ is the head or the leader of the church, a husband is the head or the leader of a family. And just as the church submits to Jesus, looks to Jesus, listens to Jesus, honors Jesus, wives are to submit to their husbands, recognizing his role in the family. 
looking to her husband, listening to her husband, honoring her husband. Now, I know some of you are saying right now, my husband isn't Jesus. I'm letting you know. It's pretty far from that kind of a picture. And I'm sure if my husband was Jesus, it would be so easy to submit and love and forgive and grace that guy. It's true. But your faith is in Jesus, not in your husband. And we're going to be focusing on husbands in just a moment, okay? But sad to say, and I need to say this today in this culture, there are husbands who usurp their authority, and wives need protection. And it's sad, and it's harmful. And this is not what God is asking to submitting to abuse or harm. Now let's keep going and get the big picture because it's important to understand what Paul says to the husbands. For husbands, being filled with the Spirit means you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Interesting what husbands are commanded to do. Love. Love. You know, I think Paul could have given him a great list, right? But he doesn't. He says, your ministry to your wife is to love her. Love your wife like Jesus. Love the church literally covers it all. Now make no mistake, Paul is referring to agape love. The kind of love that seeks the highest good of one another even at the price of one's own comfort, safety, and benefit. Jesus gave up his life for the church in order to make the church, his bride, holy, clean, justified. He gave up his life sacrificially in order for the church to experience abundant life, which we experience when we walk with God. Jesus is forgiving and gracious. Husbands are to be forgiving and gracious. In fact, wives should get a glimpse of Jesus when looking at their husbands. Say, oh, whoa, whoa, we should just wait one minute. That is like impossible. How am I supposed to be Jesus? Well, it is impossible, and I hope you see that. What is possible is that you can walk with God every day. You can listen to God every day. You can stay connected with God so that he chips away all the things in Rick that don't reflect Jesus well. So the longer Rick or you walk with God, the more he chips away so that your wife will be able to see Jesus in the household. Husbands are to live sacrificially in order to set their wives up well, not to make her happy. I I know the, you know, the, the, (laughs) the refrigerator quote is 
is if mama ain't happy, nobody is. But actually, that's not the husband's role, is to make her happy. It's to set her up so that she thrives in life. She'll be fulfilled, and when she's fulfilled, my guess is there will be joy in the home. No matter what the circumstances or situations. You see, it's not hard for husbands to be self-focused. And when they are, it's impossible to sacrificially love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Husbands are to love their wives. A loving husband will nourish and cherish his wife just as he takes care of his own body. A godly husband will help his wife feel fulfilled, grow toward maturity, and deepen her love for God. Christ modeled for husbands just what loving others looks like. And let me say this. If your love for your wife is not sacrificial, your wife will know it. See, understanding in its whole biblical context, Christian marriage is supposed to be a partnership, an intimate relationship, a deep and mutually gratifying friendship, never a dictatorship. I believe if a husband is walking with God, His wife will enthusiastically respect and submit to her husband's family leadership because he is sacrificially giving up his life for her. Well, what happens first? Do I have to submit and then he'll love? Or do I love and then she'll submit? I'm telling you with that attitude, it's not going to work just won't work. Let's look at children. And again, this is going to all come together. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul describes what a child who walks with God, who literally listens to God, what he or she looks like. For children, being filled with the Spirit means obeying your parents. Wow. This verse is not meant meant to be a club. And oftentimes, it's used that way in a Christian household when someone is absolutely exasperated. Don't you know that you're supposed to obey me because it's going to please God? We all know how far that goes. But that's the truth. You know, right here, there's no specific age given. And back in the first century, wow, it probably would have been someone who was 12, 13, 14 years old. Because literally, their lives would move much faster. Um, Most would be married at 13 and 14, at least the women. Uh, Guys would probably get married 16, 17 years old in that culture. So they're definitely outside, out of the household. Well, in our culture, man, there's 40-year-olds that are living at home still, you know? 
So the bottom line is, I'm not sure where you always draw the line in the sand. But my guess is, if you're living under your parents' roof, there is a different obligation than when you're not living under your parents' roof. You see, kingdom kids obey their parents because they do want to please the king. One of the parents' roles is to be able to help your kids love Jesus. Recognize that he is the authority. And you're even modeling for your kids over and over again how you obey the king. And how important it is and how abundant life comes from your obedience. And so your kids, you're also asking, encouraging them to please the king. You know, there's a parallel passage that helps solidify the thought in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Now there's a special word for fathers in verse 4. Now, let me again try to explain first century Fathers, for the most part, were the cultural disciplinarians. I think, in light of the scriptures, we easily could say fathers and mothers today right here. But listen to the caution. Listen to the caution. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Being filled with the Spirit means you do not provoke your children to anger. Now, if your household is like my household, my kids sure got angry enough. Was I doing something wrong? What's going on? Well, Let me try to sort this out a little bit. Kids get angry. And it's okay for them to get angry for not getting their way. But it's not okay if your kids get angry for the way that you handle a situation. If you are behaving unchristlike. I think Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite uh, Bible scholars, he gave us a paragraph here, I think, that will help, well, clarify some of this. Swindoll gives us a practical list. He says this, unreasonable demands for for perfection, constant nagging over minor infractions. Not leaving room for freedom of expression and personal growth. Lack of encouragement and affirmation. Harsh and unloving rebukes. Public embarrassment, verbal or physical abuse. Inconsistent discipline showing favoritism for one child over another. Unfair or extreme discipline that doesn't match the offense. Overprotective hovering that stifles growth. Paul encourages this. 
bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord, which means nurturing them, teaching and disciplining them, just like the Lord teaches you and disciplines you. He's our model. And again, in some ways, we look back in some of our child-rearing times and recognize, wow, we didn't do that. Or we didn't do that well. I'm so grateful again that God's in charge. And in spite of my failures, in spite of my blind spots, in spite of my selfishness, not only as a husband, but as a dad, I'm counting on God to bring healing and to bring restoration and to bring growth, even in those scenarios. The Lord always disciplines and instructs perfectly. We don't. So here it is. It's the admonition again. Walk with God. Every single day, we need God every day. We need God in order to treat our spouse well, the right way. We need God in order to parent well. We just do. If we don't, if we don't walk with God, My guess is our own wisdom and our own ability and our own, well, scenario, it's just not going to work. Now I realize that we have some widows. We have some singles. We've been talking a lot about families. But this next section literally talks about an area that will affect every one of us. Being an employee, whether you're retired or not, what what does this look like? Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly uh, earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. For employees, being filled with the Spirit means you obey your boss with deep respect. You know, Paul doesn't say obey your kind, loving, gracious boss. (laughs) Because I don't know if those exist. He says, your boss. Now, this seems like a really odd transition going from wives and husbands and children and then right to slaves, but it really isn't. Because slaves, at least in the first century again, were part of the family. They were part of a socioeconomic class. They were servants, yes, but they were also cooks and teachers and even physicians, Perhaps a first century slave would be viewed more like an indentured servant. 
But Paul was not supporting slavery, the type of slavery that's forced labor of certain race or ethnic groups. Paul commands, do not at all smile upon slavery. It just regulates slavery that was already in that culture. So technically, this is an easy translation to employee. And Paul, he goes right to the point. If you're going to be walking with God, if you're going to be in that lower circle, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, if God is chipping away things that don't reflect Him well, well, you are going to be a different person in the workplace. I love talking to high school students, especially when they're looking for their first job. And we have a relationship. And they're going to Mickey D's because that's the only job they can get. And we talk. And we, we chat through this. And, and we say, you know what? Let me just remind you that your boss isn't always going to well, ask you to do things. Your boss may tell you to do something. And you're going to have an opportunity to be the best burger flipper, fry, fry fryer, or whatever else you do, mopper, empty the garbager, whatever your boss asks. And my guess is this. If you serve your boss like you're serving the Lord, things are going to be completely different. They're going to wonder why you have a smile taking out the garbage. But let's fast forward a little bit. Serve your boss as if Christ were your boss. Again, that would be easy if Christ were my boss. But what we have to recognize is that God is sovereign. And actually, your boss has been given their authority by God. God has given you the job and given you the boss. Paul literally writes this. He says, as slaves of Christ. Isn't that interesting in that passage? He doesn't say, as slaves of Motorola, as slaves of Baxter, as slaves of Mead. He says, as slaves of Christ. You know, I use stickers a lot. My wife thinks I'm still in third grade. But stickers remind me of things. And, and one of the th stickers I love on my phone, on the back of my truck, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Now, that doesn't really thrill most of you. But it reminds me every single day that there is an authority in my life. And I'm not it. The scripture says, please your bosses all the time. If you're walking with God, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're in fellowship with God, you can please your boss all the time. Now I'm going to use a term I think most of you are familiar with, but it's called passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive folks, in my opinion, are the hardest people in our culture to deal with. We see it in the workplace. 
And we see it in the church, where people literally smile, say yes, and then just do their own thing. I think passive-aggressive believers hurt the church and dishonor God in our world. Obedience means you are doing the will of God. You are obeying your bosses with all of your heart. Now, if again we missed it, it goes back to work enthusiastically. Have a smile on your face. Do the extra. Isn't that cool? Because we are going to get rewarded for how we work. It may not look like a very good deal right now. We may feel like we're not appreciated. We may feel that things are going south. But God says, you listen to me. You work enthusiastically. You obey your bosses. You're the same when he's there and when he's not. It does not matter. Because I, God says, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to do this. The Lord will reward us for the way we obey, submit, and show respect. Oh. You know, something I learned, I had an opportunity to work in the trades for a while. One of the things I learned, and, and I know that you guys, especially in the trades, know this, all right? But everyone has their own way and their own method, right, of doing things. You would think to saw a two-by-four should be pretty simple. But everybody has their bent. What I learned when I was in the trades is that all that matters is, is that I please my boss. And most of the time, if I'm in a residential area, a residential job, I have to please the owner and my boss. God is going to reward us on how we submit. Do we talk behind our boss's back? Do we let everybody know that our way is better? Even though he told you, she told you to do it a certain way. Actually, are you a pain in the neck in the office? Are you? Or on the job? Or are you the one that people want to work with because of the joy, because of the attitude that you have? Or you're the one that's the exception. Let me just say this. If you are, don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Okay? Just don't. It's way better you don't. But if somehow you're growing and God is chipping you away and chipping me away so we reflect who God is, all of a sudden it shows in all of our relationships, in our relationship with our spouse, with our relationship with our kids, with our relationship with other employees and our bosses. Now, employers, there's a word in here for you too. And you always 
don't have this opportunity. Many of us would just be employees. But for employers, if you have that responsibility, Paul says this, be filled with the Spirit means treating your employees in the same manner that Jesus would treat them. You know, one of the things I enjoy about working with Brent, oh, there's Brendan. I knew he was here. Um, Brendan works in a secular environment. But we were talking one day on how he is treated at his job. And I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I said, you know what? I want to learn from that. I don't even know if his employers or, or bosses are believers. I have no clue. I, have no, I don't understand. But I know this. When he shared with me how his bosses treat him and treat the other employees, I said, I'm going to learn. I will learn from that. You see, bosses don't threaten. And we're reminded that we have a master in heaven who will hold us all accountable and give you eternal reward for how you treat others. I'd like to wrap this up. And to be quite honest, I got to believe your emotions are everywhere right now. Because this is radical thinking. But that's what Paul's been trying to say. You're going to be so different, radically different, everywhere you go. Because if you walk with God, you're representing the king. You're walking worthy of the king. Every single day there's change happening in you. Every single day there's something that God is chipping away. Every single day you're kinder, more gracious, more loving more likable, more wanting to be around. This whole overarching context informs us that everything we do in the Christian life is to be governed by godly, Christ-like behavior. Behavior that comes from hanging out with God. There's a humility and a gentleness and a patience and a tolerance and a love and there's mutual submission. Whoa! I mean, every one of you, I, I talk about those verbs. You go, I want that. I want that in my home. I want that in my church. I want that. This means that submission Paul has in mind isn't a one-way street. Rather, it's both people seeking the other's best in Christ's honor. Submission gently but firmly displaces selfishness and conceit and competition and pulling rank and domination and dishonor. When we hear the word submission in a biblical sense, we should never picture a gruff commander and his soldiers, a CEO and his managers, or a king and his subjects. We should rather look at the one perfect example of humility and submission, Jesus Christ, who we are all being formed unto. Every one of us us if we walk with God. 
This means that husbands sacrificially love their wives. Wives ought to treat their husbands with respect. Children should listen to their parents. Employees should work heartily for their bosses with sincerity and integrity. But if anyone misuses their God-given authority by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then it is our duty to listen to God and not to man. God always is our authority. We make no bones about it. Now, as I warned in the beginning... This would be a hard text. If there aren't two or three or six or ten things that God isn't pricking your heart about, I'd be surprised. You work a message like this. You look at your life. You realize how you treat your wife, your kids, and others. And in some ways, Lord, I'm so far. I have so much to learn. Yeah, I am different. I, I'm really different than when we first got married. But God wants more. He wants more for me. He wants more for you. He wants more for our church, our community. How cool would it be that all people have to do is find out that they're from Crosspoint and they want to hire them? I just want Crosspoint people. That's all I want. They're amazing. They're amazing. That's who I want at Crosspoint people. You know, we've all failed at times. But may you be encouraged now just to, I need to walk with you, God. I, I need to get in a group, some accountability. I need to get in your word every day. I need to bounce off some of these things. Lord, I want this. And I guess my encouragement is this. If you walk out this door today, and everything stays the same. I'd be really sad. So maybe there's one thing or two things or three things. And at the end of every service, we, we ask those that would like prayer or encouragement on the journey. Or almost every week, I say, give me a call. Shoot me an email. Let's get together. Let me help you on this journey. I had a woman yesterday stop me. Says Rick, I've, I've I've just had it with my son. And I just smiled. <laughs> I've been there, you know. But let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let me encourage you your heart in the battle. Let me remind you of how Christ disciplines you, and we're able to walk through some of this. 
So I would ask this, that you would pray, that you would listen, maybe reread this text, just see what word, what area, what scenario sticks out to you, and say, God, I know this area needs to be chipped away. You got to do it. I can't do it. My boss is a jerk. No, I never say that, but your boss is hard to live with. How about that? Let's pray. Father, we know that you make a difference in all our relationships. You do. We know we'd be different wives, husbands, children, employees, and employers. We, we know that. We know that the kingdom would move forward if we represented you in all these relationships. We know that the church, in fact, would be a fragrance that people would want to be part of this community because we submit to each other. We love each other. And in our relationships, you are king and we're serving you. God, Don't let the enemy come in right now. Don't let the enemy just bring up our past and shove it in our face. Father, when we sin, may we confess it quickly, relentlessly, ruthlessly. Can we move forward, Father? Trusting you for new and fresh. Lord, maybe some of us are convicted. Maybe some of us have to apologize to our bosses on Monday for maybe an attitude, maybe for cheating, maybe not working as hard as you ought. God, we pray if that happens, we pray that that we do that with courage, trusting you. Maybe... A husband needs to ask forgiveness. Maybe a wife today across the table needs to beg for mercy. Maybe there's a child that's just been blowing their parents off. God, God, we ask not just for a bunch of yes people. We ask for people that walk with you connected with you and you change us father you pray this in your son's name amen